Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a stand-up comic known to millions from his work on Chelsea Lately. Hello and welcome, Chris Frangiola. Hi. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Do you know, uh, I've been speaking to you for about 90 seconds before we started rolling, and when right. I was doing the intro, I felt like I had more of my New Jersey accent. Does it come back? I know. How do Only I not, when I talk to you. How have I not lost it yet? I've been in Los Angeles now for almost 20 years, and my Long Island accent just won't go away on certain words. I, I think it's almost every word. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I must admit that I do put it on a little bit sometimes, uh-huh. but- uh, there are times where, I, where I'm trying to, to lose it, and there are certain words I just can't say. I assumed it was like a willful decision that you made, because I made the decision when I was still living in New Jersey to not right. have a New Jersey accent. And I, and I like to tell myself <clears throat> that I haven't sold out as badly as I did, but right. I, my parents sent me a VHS tape of me uh, at Yankee Stadium in 1988, where okay. they let you, if you paid 30 bucks, like pretend to be Phil Rizzuto yeah. for a half an inning. And I'm just uh, in, like, in what, like in the booth? Uh, yeah, they had a little booth set up sure. for kids to go in there. And I'm like, Alvaro Espinosa. Well, I didn't talk like a Kennedy. I can't yeah. even do my own Jersey accent anymore. But I was surprised to go back and see how thick it was. Oh, it's amazing because you know back in those days we used to make those big VHS tapes, you mm-hmm. know, movies all the time down in my basement and stuff. And uh, my accent was. It's 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 thick now, but it was brutal back then, and I hate it. I honestly do. I think it just sounds so dumb, but people like it. Mm-hmm. But I think they like it because it sounds dumb. I just think it sounds specific. Yeah, and dumb. Know? It's an <laughs> that, well, that like wasn't... Long Island. I think the Long Island accent is a little bit worse than I think maybe Jersey. And I do you think, think I, I disagree. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's just my own like Jersey inferiority speaking, but I always felt like anybody with a New York set accent sounded like um, street smart, savvy. That's what I get from those. Well, people. I'll take that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I just went. I and I still do. I just go with dumb. I hear it all the time <laughs> when I'm back there, and it just sounds dumb. Uh-huh. So you're from uh, Ronkonkoma. I'm from Ronkonkoma, which exit is 59. We we like to go by the exit. I don't know, you, Jersey. You do kind of a similar thing. Uh, um, I well, it depends. On, I'm from 16W. If we're talking about the Turnpike, more yeah. more of a 153 man if it's Got the Parkway. It. Okay, I'm a fi- I'm an exit 59 to Long Island Expressway. So, uh, but everybody on Long Island know you, you know they know the exit if if you've been there for quite some time. I just know you as if I'm not mistaken, you're the end of a train. line. We're the end of a train line. That that's is, all I know. That wrong. That's what wrong Konkoma yeah, means to me. Everybody knows it as which is which is actually pretty. Uh, it is like a last stop Ronkonkoma. It is kind of a last stop. If in, it feels in, that way, yeah, it really does. <laughs> it, it, like it's it's very significant that 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 we are the last stop on the Ronkonkoma line. I don't believe we are anymore. I think they've now the line has gotten further. But um, they kept the name. Yeah, I believe it's so mellifluous. Why not? It, right. It, it's it's a big stop. We're we're known as the big stop on, on the Long Island Expressway. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, so, you're, I mean not, you're not trying Lo- to brag. You're simply Long Island Railroad. Long Island Railroad, <laughs> which I've taken. You know, I was an electrician for many years. Yeah, and uh, that was 
that was the train I took every day, like 4.40 a.m. into New York City, because it's a bit of a ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's an hour in, into New York on the train, and man, it was brutal. You know, just a packed train at 4.40 a.m. Packed. Oh, my goodness. You know, everybody, get, by the time you get into New York, it's six-something, and... Oh, God. Yeah, it, w- it was rough. I don't know how people do that. I would imagine there would be sort of like a, a class division on that, because... Uh, like it, people who have to be there at six a.m. are right. probably working with their hands, or probably not sitting behind a, a desk. One hundred. It was a lot of, and and then on the way back, same thing. So you would get your because we'd get out earlier. We'd get uh-huh. out at three. Right. Uh, so you'd have your construction workers that you know getting on that four forty in and out of three. That back then there was smoking cars and there were drinking cars. There's still you can still buy booze and bring it on the train. With you, I right? thought they. I thought they. they I, finally get rid I of thought that? they might have done away with it now. They used to have an actual bar car. I don't know if you remember. I don't know. You you're not a Long Island Railroad guy, but um, yeah, we. I mean, it was just you know drunken drunkenness. And I, I guess back then I was just too young to even pick up on what it all like. I mean, these construction workers were just hammered. Yeah. all day long. My dad uh, owned a bar in in Kearney, New Jersey, which is uh, a okay. uh, one of the less dignified suburbs of Newark. Sure. And my uh, my aunt and my uncle owned it before he did, and my grandfather, who's not really my grandfather, he was my grandmother's third husband. She just kept burying men. Yeah. And he was this old Polish guy, Teddy Kowalski, and Teddy wow, Kowalski. Wow, that's in, the greatest Polish name ever. <laughs> he's the reason yeah. I love pierogies today. Yeah. And Teddy, in his retirement was the morning bartender at the Blue Bar, our family bar. Right. And I, he uh, he sold roofers, like a shot and a beer, before they went to work. Yeah. He just got rid of the shakes. This, he this, was like an outpatient clinic. And these are roofers. These are guys who, you know- Yeah, we're going like, to go on somebody's roof. Yeah, and you know, falling would kill you, but they're <laughs> still- well, I did the same thing. I mean, I went- My first day as an electrician was open construction- on uh, what, what at the time was City Core Tower. Now, I don't know what it's called. It's a very famous, iconic building in, in New York that's got the slanted roof. You've seen it in every one of the Skyline pictures. It's a slanted roof. Uh, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. C- City Bank building, I think it is now. Right, right, right. It's uh, like a chess piece, kind of. Right, exactly. And, and that was, uh, like, first day show up. Knew nothing about, you know, any type of electrical work or whatever. But I was like in a, my first day of apprenticeship, and I just walked into like forty fourth floor of open construction, which means you're standing out on open construction, exactly what it sounds like. You know, no elevator, ele- open elevator shafts, and just crazy. Like the 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 fact that people don't die every day is beyond me. The palms of my feet are sweating. Yeah, it's crazy. I never saw anything like and freezing, freezing cold. Naturally, yeah. Just brutal. Yeah, Manhattan is just, it's a wind tunnel right. between yeah, two, exactly. two rivers. Right, right, right. So then how did you get to be a comic? You know, I was doing it, like, for fun. Just never really thought there was, like, a career in it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of places back then uh, that just did, like, bars and stuff. Would do, uh, like, open mic nights. When is this? This is, God, about 88, 88. All right. Yeah, 89, 88, 89. Did you have like any uh, did did your parents or any of your family friends or anything do cool no, job? Right. So it no. didn't it seemed like other people No show but but yeah. like I was a huge fan of comedy. Like loved 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 Eddie Murphy. He was from Long Island. Is he he was yeah, he's oh, from a lot of comics. Like uh it's ama- like I always say this if I was uh if I had 
you know, more energy and stuff. I, it's, the fact that someone hasn't made a documentary about how many great comedians have come from this really small area of Long Island. It's crazy. I'm sure Judd Apatow is developing that. Apatow, Kevin, I mean, uh, you know, Billy Crystal, Eddie Murphy, Ray Romano, Rosie O'Donnell, uh, Howard Stern. Just so many people have come from this one little area. And it's wild. It's just uh, Amy Schumer. It just right. keeps going and going and going. Well, and it's such a particular place. It's not as if there are all these people. Like, for for me, I feel like there was the big Boston scene, but I don't right. know that there's necessarily a unified comedic voice that that all those guys have. Like, when I I know, like, Bobcat Goldthwait's from Boston, but right. I don't think of him as this, like, he's not a Bill Burr. He's not like a yokel. He's not a, Bo- a Red I, Sox fan I, yelling at you. I, I, not right. only are there a lot of people coming out of Long Island, they're yeah. all, like, really Long Island people. Exactly. But a lot of them, I think, when they before that because like the Seinfeld and and I think none of when once they get out they're out like they don't have a love for Long Island anymore like oh, well, these were my roots I think they're they're done with it because it's such a hard place to perform in like once you're done with performing on Long Island you don't want to go back it's brutal like now that I have some success they asked me to come back to some of the clubs there I was like do I need that do I need to go back and oh you really don't want to it's just what a you tough it's not afraid. It's just it's like a tough night of of comedy. The crowds are are drunk. The thing about Long Island, I feel it's the same thing with New Jersey. It's not a bad thing. They can't just sit and watch, like yeah. most cities can. Mm-hmm. Most cities can go to a show, a movie, a comedy club, and sit and watch. Long Islanders, for some reason, have to be a part of it. Otherwise, you know, otherwise they're not happy. So I get that for what for whether they think heckling's the the way to do that or somehow, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of com- there's a I don't feel like a comedian the, the Jerry Seinfeld documentary. Mm-hmm. In that documentary, he actually goes out to Long Island to perform, you know, do a set for whatever he was about to do Tonight Show or something, and he goes out to Governors or Eastside Comedy Club at the time, and he says, "I'm going to the hell hole." Governors out on in Levittown, which is a great club, it really is. And, but it, the, the crowd and the crowds are heckling him, and he says in the documentary, he goes, "How fa-, he's already done with Seinfeld. He's the biggest comedian in the world at this point." This is the documentary with Orny Adams, with Orny Adams, right. where he's comedian. retiring his old say. This exactly, is well right, past right. his. That's yeah. it. And he's up there, and he says, "How famous do I have to be for you people not to heckle? Like it, this is I can't. You can't get any bigger than me, and you still won't shut up. So it's it's just a wild." place to perform it's uh i think i think it's greg fitzsimmons or or uh i don't know if it's fitzsimmons or one of the guys calls it lion tamer comedy on long island where it's you're just a lion tamer you, you basically have a chair and a whip and you, you know you have 45 minutes to try and keep them at bay right and so the answer for jerry seinfeld is there's no level of fame that you could achieve because we're not we're not doing it as a sign of disrespect we're under the impression this is what is done exactly it's not. They're not being disrespectful. They think we're. Aren't we all in this? Like, because they in their head, I'm funny too. Like you yeah. think you're funny. You should see me at a party down the street. Everybody I'm, says I'm hilarious. There you go. So for that reason, they're gonna get involved because this is. Everyone tells me I'm funny. I'm not stand up funny, but I'm funny at a barbecue. So here goes. Yeah, I'm gonna do it from the audience. I can at least crack up my my table in the next table there over. Yeah, right. Yeah. See, I learned something. For, I, I dabble a little bit in stand up, and I uh, did a show that you were on recently. And well, first of all, I love seeing people like you because every now and again I'll do a half decent set, and I'll go, "Oh, I'm starting to kind of figure this out." And then somebody like you gets on stage, and you're literally not even paying attention to what you're doing, and you're so like, right. You're so many miles ahead of me that I'm like, "Oh, okay, right. That's what an actual." 
comedian looks like. Yeah. I feel like I'm a ship uh, in a storm, and at least you, people like you are like lighthouses for me. That I'm like, okay, okay, I can see where I'm supposed to be sort of headed at right. some point in the distant future. Yeah. And then, uh, you, but the specific thing that I took away from you is, um, and I don't know if this is just like comedian talk. I understand the spirit in which you meant it, but you said don't get too used to Los Angeles crowds because crowds on the road are maybe less savvy? Yes. Uh, yes. I don't know what word you used exactly. Well, yeah. I, I say that almost as a protection for me because I you know I go and see guys that I still love here at the Comedy Sony Improv and stuff. And I'd love to do that type of comedy where I'm just sitting on a stool and reminiscing about today's events. <laughs> but on the road, you can't do that. Uh-huh. They, it's, it, they're, they're expecting something, a show. So you have to have road tricks. We're, none of us are proud of them, but you have to have them. What's an example? I don't know what you're talking well, about at all. Well, you know, it, it's, it's probably jokes that if you did them here... At some of the places you and I perform here in Los Angeles, you'd be looked at as probably like a road hack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's something you have to do uh, just because the audience you, you sit and watch enough guys just completely blow the roof off a funny bone in Omaha, Nebraska with these jokes. We are like, man, I guess I, I got to get a few of those, too, because I could sit here. I could sit on a stool in Omaha, Nebraska and just talk about, you know, Donald Trump. But it's not going to work. So. You start to eventually find a way to do a little bit of both, right? You have to. You have to. I think to, in order to to live with yourself, you need to. Right. Hopefully, hopefully, you find there's like a Venn diagram that's like there's what they want and there's what you actually like. And right. in a perfect world, and I think a lot of people make this mistake that to not do, and this is a very modern attitude for entertainment. If I'm not doing precisely the thing that I dream of doing that right. I have sold out. And I would argue that what you can do is figure out the part of you that is genuinely you that overlaps with what the audience likes. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And, and that's not selling out to me. Yeah. And at this point, honestly, I've been doing it so long that I really don't feel selling out is that bad. <laughs> okay. I, I honestly believe this yeah. whole city is built on selling out. It really is. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody is doing what they want to do. If they were, it would be you know, something completely different than what, like, this is all selling out. It's show business. It's built upon just Milton Berle and women, you know, man in a dress and Sid Caesar. And it's all selling out. And it's the, as I'm fond of saying, it's the intersection of art and commerce. Right. And commerce might actually have the right of way. It does. Yeah. It does on the road. I mean, if you're not selling tickets, it's over. Right. You know, so... Uh, and I understand that a club needs to make money. That's that's they're in the business. Like your father was in a bar business. It's a, it's a business where if I'm not selling drinks and tickets, none of us are making any money here. They're so not philanthropists. I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So that's why they they'll take a guy who, you know, like I just saw Godfrey in the lobby here. Godfrey crushes and sells out, and you know, so of course they're going to take Godfrey for the weekend over me because Godfrey sells tickets. I understand that. I have no problem with it. Yeah, and, I, and it, there's worse ways to make a living, and I, I imagine you always take a bit of that with you, having had real jobs before this. I've seen guys get up in L.A. and just run jokes where they they literally have the, the cue cards yeah. for the one-liners that they're working on for when the next boat leaves because they're doing cruises. Cruises, yeah. And shit on that all you want, but that guy just 
is an alcoholic who fucks cougars on cruises right. and tells these like silly one-liners I, off of cue cards. What's so bad about that? I, I totally agree with you. And yeah. this is a change in me, though. It has changed over the years. They, I used to be the guy, of course, cruises. Are you crazy? What hack? Blah, blah, blah. Bullshit is that. But now I'm like, yeah, of course. I mean, it's all, we're all, in the end, It's you're still telling jokes for a living, you know, which is, like, people would kill for that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I haven't done the cruises yet. I'm not ruling it out, but uh, <laughs> I hear mixed things, you know. Uh, of course, yeah. of course. But I also feel like I have sort of witnessed, and maybe it's just that everybody shares so much nowadays that conversations that have been always uh, that have always been going on just come into my radar more than they used to. But I feel like I've sort of seen the rise of the, the pretentious comedian. Yeah. And I, I find it hard to be pretentious about almost anything that I do because, you know, you, you can grow up a little bit and you, right. you grow out of being a 16-year-old kid. And of all the things to be super pretentious about, yeah. it's just, it seems like you're speaking to, you're like projecting insecurity that we right. all know you're not gestures. We all know that you're not there to like shake belts and run yeah, around yeah, while we yeah. throw eggs at you. But yeah, just make make them laugh. It's That's it. That's the bottom line. Okay, so I got sidetracked. So how old are you when you make the full-time commitment to comedy? Uh, well, it was never a full time commitment to comedy. It was, it was. A, I'm coming to Los Angeles. Okay. You know, I'll, I'm leaving New York to come to Los Angeles to pursue comedy. It took 25 years to make any money at it, but, uh, you know, yeah. So I, it, it's at 24, 24, mm-hmm. headed to Los Angeles. Were you still electrifying things out here when you got here? I a little bit. Uh-huh. If if somebody needed me to put up a ceiling fan or uh, you know change a receptacle, I, I had no problem doing that. Um, but I was, you know, then it was, out here it was bartending and waiting and that kind of stuff, which is another problem you get into because then you start making money at that yes. and good money at the mm-hmm. time. Sunset Boulevard was jamming back then. I don't, know, I don't know how long you've been in L.A., but not that long. Yeah. But... So this is when Sunset was just crazy. What year is that? This is we're talking like mid nineties. That sounds you fun. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so much fun. So and that, and that's I always, whatever. I always just missed. If you want your town to be cool five years ago, yeah. have me move there. <laughs> that's yeah. So here, that that's the trap. It is fun. It's so fun. Yeah. You're meeting great people. You're hanging out with cool. You're making mo- a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, enough to certainly have a nice life here. And then you you stop doing. You know, why should I go out and do you know the, whatever shithole open mic they're doing? Because I just made seven hundred dollars last night. Bar Bartending, you know, from from eight to two. Right, I'm good. Yeah. Um. So that was a problem. That became a problem, and th- and then I, you know you stop for a while. All of a sudden you're done, and I, you're hearing your friends go on the road, doing triple runs, which is a thing that I've never actually done. But these are these this terrible guy named Tribble who has like these one nighters throughout like South Dakota and stuff, and you literally make fifty dollars. You know, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. So by the time your rental car and all this. You, but you come back to LA with, you know, clearing eighty five bucks for ten shows, and like I, and I was like, I can't live like that. I'm literally making seven hundred dollars a night, for three nights a week at a bar. I, I, there's no way I would do that. So I didn't. I was like, I'm, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not going that route. And uh, so, but so, so never full time commitment. It was because there was no money in it. Yeah, you know, it's hard to. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people. I, I was never one who could live like. On a friend's couch, I just couldn't. I had to have it at my own apartment. I had to have a nice car, uh, or you know, just a car. So yeah, well, I think again the age thing factors into that. The that was age, you can do that right. when you're maybe 21. Exactly, exactly, right. So and then you know, just like meeting Chelsea Handler, to me, I knew she was going to be 
big. I met her when she was 19 doing open mics and we became fat friends really quickly. And I just saw that she, like people were into her. I don't know. It's one of those things where you can't put your finger on why people are. She wasn't you know, necessarily the greatest comedian, but she went up on stage and people just went nuts whether it be the improv or open mics or wherever we were, people just gravitated toward her. And That's I'm, interesting. Have you have you witnessed that phenomenon in other up-and-coming comics? Not as big as I did it with her, but I, I've i definitely seen it in, in other people. And have those people always... Yeah, for the most out? part. That's the good thing about comedy. I do... The cream does always kind of rise to the top. I don't know. If you see, it really does. In the end, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you'll see a guy twenty years ago, you know, at an open mic. I'm like, I don't know, if that guy sticks around, he's going to be good. And sure enough, I've seen it happen time and time and time again. Um, it is very democratic in that regard because right. you're not dependent on some studio executive okaying something. And I think it's becoming more and more that way because there's so many other avenues now to to do it. You don't have to rely on NBC or CBS or ABC anymore. There are a thousand other ways to go. Yeah. And I think you know these guys have all proven it. It's true. I was in a band. That's I wasted a couple of years of my uh, precious years of my youth doing that in between high school and college. Right. And I remember we had the shot. We got the big manager, and we were on Channel Nine News in New York. Oh, really? We, yeah, yeah. And we did the big showcase at Don Hills. And afterwards, we're literally sitting in our dressing room because they had told us every record. I mean, it just seems like this, some ridiculous 1970s TV show. But yeah. Like every label is going to come see you tonight, and they're basically going to decide if you get a record deal or if you don't. And yeah. you just sit in your, you go out and play your hearts out, and then go sit in your dressing room, and maybe we'll bring somebody back, and maybe we won't. Yeah. And then now we, we a lot of things are wrong with my management team. We go, we play the show of our, we really did play well, and then we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, and nobody shows up, and finally, like the the lowest man on the totem pole of our management team comes in. He's like, "What are you guys still doing back here?" And we're like, "We're I don't know, waiting for Capitol <laughs> Records, waiting for." <laughs> and yeah. he's like, "Oh, that's not how this works. I mean, yeah. if they like, maybe they'll call on Monday or Tuesday." But my point is that. If we had come along now, we would have, for better or for worse, had to generate some legitimate enthusiasm with actual human beings online, and then the labels would come sniffing around. And it's scary because you have to have actually people liking you, but if people do respond to you, nobody gets to stop you. Yeah. They just financially attach themselves. And I see nothing wrong with it. The fact that those are out there, that Twitter and all those things are out there, it's such a free way to market yourself that, that we never had before. That just do it every day. I, I see a lot of people kind of half-assing it, and I was like, I, I don't know why. And like, I don't want to give away my stuff for free. Give it away for free. Trust mm-hmm. me, it'll it'll pay off in the end yeah. if it's good enough. So all these things are just tools to just you know sell 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 tickets, and in the you know that's all that matters in the end, right? So, so you anyway. meet Chelsea. How long until? So I was going to ask you, and I think you've probably already answered this question. The one of the last guys I had on this show uh, wrote a book about how everybody stinks and get over yourself, and you fucking suck, but everybody else fucking sucks too. So what's the big deal? Who's that? Uh, his name is Elon Gale. He's uh, he he's a producer on The Bachelor. The Bachelor. I know Elon. Yeah, crazy with the long hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. His, his book's called "You're Not That Great, But Neither Is Anybody Else." Yeah, and he's so. How well do you know him? Uh, well, you know, I, I, a little bit, I and mean, we've hung out a few times. He, he mm-hmm. they used to shoot the Bachelor right where we shot Chelsea lately oh, years ago, and, I, and he lives kind of in my neighborhood in Studio City. Because it seems it's very important to him to have this incredibly uh, negative outlook on things, which yeah. I guess works for him, but which he's trying to project onto the entire world vis right. this book. And I think he wa- I think he secretly wants to be a guru. That's what I think. Yeah, he's, really- he, he's got a guru vibe. He's about got a big him. time yeah. guru yeah. vibe. But he says that. You don't get anything because you uh, 
it, well, deserves a weird word, but, oh, you worked hard? Everybody worked hard. Yeah. I got lucky. I met Coolio and did a cooking show, and then that got the ball rolling right. for me. And if you don't get lucky, you'll never go anywhere. And so if you if you aren't successful, don't beat yourself up because it was never in your hands anyway. Right. And then I... I, I I, so a lot of times when I resist something like that, I think it's because secretly deep down inside I fear it might be true. And I've since I talked to him, examined my life, and I'm like, no, that pretty well encapsulates my career. I 100% agree with it. I think it is true. I, <laughs> I, I never heard it put quite that way, but that's kind of true. So your fortuitous break is, is meeting Chelsea. 100%. Yeah. It was, it was my break. Uh, and then it was a break that... You know, we didn't know where it was going. What, what meeting Chelsea was one thing, and then and then when she asked me to work on shows with her, it was I didn't know anything. You know, like you said, you kind of got backed into radio. I kind of backed into TV writing. Really, I, I you know it wasn't something I knew I could do. But then I started doing it. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I, is anybody any better than me at this? Like, I'm I'm watching old sitcoms and stuff. And I'm like, these are t- jokes that I could have easily done and have done. Like, I don't think anybody outside of a few uh, Cheers and an All in the Family. I don't think anything's that great. I mean, over the course of television, whatever 70 years we've been doing TV, there's probably been 10 good shows. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and thousands and thousands and thousands made. So everybody's doing it wrong. I've often told myself, I used to tell myself this in music, and now I tell myself this in, in radio, and I hope to one day tell myself this in comedy. I can never be as good as the really good guys. Right. But I know I'm better than a lot of shitty guys. That's, and that's the, and, and that's not a bad way to be. Right. You know? Yeah, there are some guys who are just at another level. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the Chappelles and the Rocks and the Seinfelds. Yeah. And then there's everybody else. Don't concern yourself with them. Just no, marvel at their greatness. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You don't, you're never going to be at that level. And it doesn't. you don't need to be at that level. Right. Right. You could do perfectly fine at, you know, mid-level. I'd be very, very happy yeah. with that. Sign me up for that. So what is it like? I'm, I'm curious to know. I never watched Chelsea lately. Obviously, it was not yeah. the Target demo or anything. Um, I've met her once or twice, and she's, you know, she's cool. Obviously, respect yeah. everything she's done. Just what is it like when you're on a TV show that becomes not only successful, but like a phenomenon? It, it was amazing, you know, and it was so fun to be a part. You know, being on a hit is so hard to do. I know that now. Um and and to be on one that was just really kind of a phenomenon and it just kind of changed E and it changed, you know, I think that type of show where I think people really liked the fact that it was loose and fun and I don't think we could do it today. I really don't. At some of the things, okay, I just think some of the things we said and did were so kind of, and it's not, wasn't that long ago, are just so wrong now. Like it just happened overnight. Didn't even it? honestly, even having a little person, uh, you know, a Mexican little person with us, I don't think we could do it anymore. We we you know we used him as a butt of many jokes. I, I think that's something we couldn't do. I no, just think I don't see I don't see anything funny about that. To be honest uh, with you, right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but so many things we did were just, um, but it was wild, and it just got progressively bigger and bigger. We went knowing I thought it was going to be there eight weeks down in a little tiny place on Wilshire and Bundy, little no. Mm-hmm tiny place we shot it and we didn't know what was going to happen we kind of didn't know what we were doing any of us you know we had good people jen kirkman and guy branham and myself and heather mcdonald and so and chelsea was and then it started to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then we started getting better guests and you know eight years later we were at a huge studio on universal which oh we almost got too big it almost became once we got to that universal thing i knew like this is not we're not going to be here much longer. Everybody's getting heads are getting too big. All of us who were on the show, including and, yourself, a little bit. 
you know, I look back on it now, like I was, I'd start touring back then. I would go on the road and I would play the clubs that I'm still playing now. And I would, I would half-ass it a little bit because I knew I was coming back on Monday to a great job that I was making a lot of money at. So I was like, I don't need Omaha Funny Bone. I'm, I'm going back to this, you know? So, uh, there were times where I was probably difficult on the road, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get up to morning to radio? No. Why would I? I'm Chris Frangiola. You know, so uh-huh. that, that did you that, ever did you ever say the the sentence I'm Chris Frangiola? Uh, to myself I did many times. <laughs> <laughs> that but you know, and that and you, you I think you you do get like that but then you get humbled real fast, yeah. you know. Uh and you just get older and wiser. Man, I was I went from, you know, thirty thousand dollars a year waiting tables, which I thought was to you know, uh, making, you know, half a million and just like this, I've never seen it. I, I couldn't believe it. I don't, I don't come from money. My family doesn't have any money. Like it was just nuts where you could do, you know, getting a parking ticket used to ruin my life. My car didn't start. I had to get a battery for my car. Forget it. I was shot for six months. Then it was once that's over, you're like, God, everything is, I could do anything. Yeah, and it becomes weird. Yeah, I, I can barely even imagine a level of wealth beyond that. I'm definitely in the uh, parking ticket. You know, yeah. I was at a sonogram with my wife yesterday right. that went longer than I thought it would, and I yeah. was parked on the street, and I was like, hey, you know, if I if I have to pay eighty bucks, I have to pay eighty right. bucks. I well, I don't like it, obviously. Yeah. But am I going to run away from this opportunity to see my unborn daughter? Yeah. To to, to avoid that? No, I don't have to do that. Oh, see, that, it, and I think that's such a great free like it is it is especially I, if you don't get it when you're very young yeah it, uh, yeah I, I mean i didn't make any money till i was 44 years old i started making real money mm-hmm. and it was just it, all your problems are kind of gone there's other problems but you know the small shit is just gone and it's such a freeing nice way to live and i wasn't making I wasn't making 10 million dollars no you're not even I close know. you know, know but it was enough for me I still I never I didn't live an extravagant lifestyle, but so it was it was you know that that was great. And being on that show was where every comedian wanted to be on it. And if you were on it five or six times, it was the I think it was the last show that truly popped comics. Seems that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think the Tonight Show does it anymore. I don't think a set on Comedy Central does it anymore. I think that show popped twenty five headlining comedians that are still T.J. Miller. You know. Natasha Leggero, Whitney Cummings, you name it. They, mm-hmm. All those guys came out of that show. Joe Coy, that was their big moment. Yeah, agreed. Good point. At Midnight was kind of making a play for that for a minute, and then it didn't. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. But, you know, honestly, Chris Harder would be the first to tell you. At Midnight, was he said a, basically a complete ripoff of Chelsea Lately. He was on a bunch, and he said, why don't we just do this? You know, but, you know, that dealt a lot with um, the, uh, you know, Internet and stuff like that instead of dealing with, like, you know, Real Housewives and things we talked about. And he said it. He's like, yeah, if it weren't for Chelsea Lilly, there would be no At Midnight. Interesting. I'd never heard that. I guess that makes sense. So did you have anything to do with the Netflix thing that she was doing? Uh, No. I mean, we we kind of, uh, the the documentaries that she did. Mm Um, no, the, the the talk show. No, thing. the talk show. No, the documentaries that we. That's something we came up with on sh- during Chelsea lately. And that's then, right, because she when she right, shut right, down right. the show, she announced that she announced that. Yeah. So, uh, but no, as far as the other show, I had nothing to do with it. I uh-huh. was not. I was not there. Um, I wasn't not involved at all. Do you? I, I don't know how, if you want to talk about this, but I feel like there's, for some weird reason, it's going to be very hard for somebody to launch a successful talk show, on 
Netflix or streaming platforms. The Joel, and it's not just Chelsea. If anybody, she was a great candidate for right. it, but, but so is Joel McHale. I, if if Letterman right. wanted, wanted to ramp it up to twice a week, I think it would even be hard for him. There's something about, you know, like Marshall McLuhan famously said, the medium is the message. And just yeah. some things work better in some formats than in other formats. Yeah. I, I, I'm still going to have to wait and see on it because I agree. And I know they're they're trying like they, I think they just signed Norm McDonald's thing to uh, and I I guess it's a cheap way for them to put a show on the sure. air. Because honestly, if you look, if you watch Joel's show, he's standing in front of a green screen. It must cost him absolutely nothing to do. And in even the case of Letterman, he, it's a chair with Clooney and, and Obama or whoever he has. So I yes, I, I think it could work, but not five nights a week. And um, I, I watched Joel's show. I liked it. I like the soup. I like it now. It's the same show, and it's very good, and it's very funny. But even he says that he goes, uh, yesterday on blah, blah, and he goes, oh, whenever you watch this, six months yeah. from now on this. And so I think that there's a little something to that. Yeah, I just feel like there w- Chelsea and you know, and even still The Tonight Show, they're catching the very tail end of people actually turning on their television at a certain time of the day, at a certain point in their day, becoming a part of the rhythm of that day. Right. And I don't know if streaming things, even if you set out to, if you said, well, I loved watching Chelsea before I went to bed, so I'm just going to turn her Netflix thing on every day before I go to bed. Right. There's something that just seems weirdly different about you just you flip to E and it's on. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't know where, where, where that goes now. I, I mean, I, I don't know if people watch The Tonight Show anymore, like sit down and watch from beginning to end tonight show. The way that they uh make the show which seems to be more or less a factory for generating viral video yeah. leads me to believe that no they do not. And it's funny because I feel like I, I, there's it seems like there's a missing end of this uh Rubik's cube that I, maybe I'm just dumb and not getting it. But it seems like they go okay, nobody's going to sit down and watch this. So rather than having just a good 60 minutes, let's have a fucking remarkable 2 minutes that right. becomes a viral video and by doing that I'm guessing you mean people will become aware of what we're doing and know we're doing funny stuff and want to come watch the show. Right. But I don't think anybody realistically thinks the end of that happens. Yeah. And I I totally disagree with that model that a lot of, and you know because you're in this business, a lot of these people are like, we have to get this market of 20 people who don't get off their phone. And I'm like, yeah, but you're forgetting a whole other market. That, I believe, has the money and still sits in front of their television. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of people. I, I'm out there in the real world. I, you know, every weekend I'm in, I'm in these, you know, the Midwest and the South and places where they don't even know what Netflix is. And I'm not kidding. Like, you think that sounds crazy because we live in that world. But when I people are like, what happened to Chelsea Hamlin? I'm like, oh, she's got a Netflix show. They're like, what's that? They watch. What channel's that? Exactly. They yeah. they don't want to press another button. And I, I think we just forgot about them. Everyone's like, no, make a viral video some kid can watch on his, on his iPad. These people don't know what iPads are. And I think there's a ton of them. I think CBS does it right, you know, with their with their – you know Mark Harmon shows and things like that. They're they're hits. Yes, they're hits more than than a lot of he these. He's in other. a movie in the 1980s, and he's a Navy SEAL, and, and he's a lawyer. The guy has not <laughs> stopped working in Fort. Like, there's no better <laughs> career than that guy. Yeah. No, he's just he's never caused any trouble. Nope. He's been work. He's probably the you know, wealthiest guy on television. Just for 
you know, I, I couldn't think of a better life to have than that dude. Than Mark Harmon's. Yeah. Well, if the, if there was anything positive that the world could take out of um, the uh, the election of Donald Trump, it's that there is clearly a huge untapped market of people who are not. It's like they say, uh, my, my wife is in fashion. Right. If you want to make money in fashion, make clothes for fat people. Yeah. Because nobody who gets into fashion, right. they, they want to make cool stuff. They don't right. want to make fat people's stuff. So that's right. where that's where the money is. Donald Trump is actively, you know, politicians used to court the Washington Post or the Times or whatever. He has a fucking relationship with the National Enquirer yeah. so that every time you go in the checkout lane, there's a story about how Obama fucked Hillary dressed up as Melania yeah. and Donald's fighting back at that. And that is reaching the people who fucking voted for him. I saw it. You know, I was at, listen, we do live in a bubble, especially not only is California a bubble, then you get to the smaller bubbles that are even, you know, harder to crack. The Los mm-hmm. Angeles bubble, the Studio City bubble I live in, where it's like, fuck, man, we're, we, you know, everybody's kind of well to do. Um, fuck. And I saw it. I was out once again, I'm out there in the real world and. I like it didn't surprise me that election day when I start started seeing the, the the polls coming in I was like I knew it man I said these people fucking hated Hillary Clinton I don't know why they did and not only did they vote for Donald Trump they voted against her mm-hmm. and it was it was in in a way I I get it she I totally get it she didn't she didn't give a fuck about them and they and they rose up and said okay fine here, you know, here we are. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know. He's certainly not the answer. No. I think I don't think he gives a fuck about him either. But he made them think that he did. And and, and I, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people on Twitter uh, after he was elected, and people who I, I I was very reluctant to become part of the chorus of you know the jeering left. And but I did I did tweet one or two things. I retweeted the thing from uh, I know you're a sports guy. I'm assuming you're familiar with Greg Popovich. That mm-hmm. Pop yeah. just put out a thing about I'm just so disappointed that people would respond to the racial overtones yeah. of the thing. I, I could give a shit about the rest of it. And even that was enough in those in those steamy days to get some really passionate responses yeah. from the right. And so I just started talking to people individually. And the thing, one of the things that really stayed with me is a guy going, uh, finally, I'm like, well, what about this? Well, 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 you know, we're just having the Punch and Judy show that every every person on the left right. has had, whenever they've had an argument with somebody on the right, I say this talk, talking point, you respond with that answer. And finally, the guy just goes, look, you think we don't know he's a fucking asshole? He's yeah. the only guy who's tried to fucking talk to us in about 40 years. Right. So, and, and you know, implicitly, so fuck you. Yeah. And and that's great. I think that it would be terrific if the if the, if mainstream America had um, a more uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for a less disgusting per avatar. Right. I also think desires, I also but- think that we we are we just listen to loud. You know, the, we it's all professional wrestling. We listen to yeah. the you know and. Once again, when you're out there in the real world, I'm perf- you're making I, me not want to go in the real. world. No, no, no. I'm saying it's not. That's what, that's what I'm about to say. Okay. It's not bad. Like, but what you're hearing the loud voices. You're hearing the people on Twitter who are blah blah blah, or you're hearing Tommy Lauren or these you know people who are just screaming on Fox News and even on on CNN. Absolutely. You're hearing them. That's not the real people. The real people are fine. They're like, yeah, I, I get some things he says. I disagree with some things he says. I don't like the wall. I don't want, you know, I don't like the fact what's going, you know, down with some of this racial shit. And that's the for the most part everybody. But they're not screaming it, so you don't hear them. 
you hear the screaming people, and we listen to the screaming people. Sure. The so. squeakiest wheels. Yeah, right. I'd like to. I'd like to believe that you're right. A uh, couple things that I know about you. I think I know about you. I'll, I'll cop to this. I watched some other guy interview you, and he asked you questions, and then you gave answers, and then I didn't care for his follow up uh, oh, questions. I, I, you have to do so much of that shit. And, so, uh, yeah. I'm, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna do them instead. Um, you would you still describe yourself as a really big baseball fan? A really big baseball fan. I, yes. Okay. Here's my follow up question: How do you still do it? Baseball? Yeah. I absolutely, I, I mean, I, I, meaning you watch, in what way? You, watch, you watch nine innings? I watch nine innings too much. Now I have the MLB package, uh-huh. and I, it, it, I'll i sit and watch three games a day sometimes. Holy fuck. Yeah. I, even in like April and May, and like even before, it's, uh, I love it. I You're love a Mets it. guy. I'm a Mets guy. Gotta be, Big right. Big Mets guy. Big Mets guy. The games have just, happens. I feel like the world has gotten so much faster and the game has gotten yeah, so much slower. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I know. I understand. It's yeah. not for everybody. I, But I believe that it's not for um, dumb people. It, 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 it's, it's very it's cerebral. Def- yeah. It's definitely more of a cerebral, yeah, sit down and, and relax and watch for a little. Like, it does everything have to be an hour and a half now? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't have more than, you're not, you're not, you don't have kids? I don't have kids now. Yeah, all right. Well, I, 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 yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, I just don't, everything is running back and forth, football, basketball, hockey. It's this way, that way, mm-hmm. a net on this side, a net on that side and, and, or a field goal post on this side, that side and get to either one. That's it. It's always uh, put the ball in the hole, put the ball in the hole. Yeah. And I, baseball's the only one that's not like that. And for me, I'm, I get a little bored by put the ball in the hole. I love them. Mm-hmm. I still watch, yeah. but I get a little bored by put the ball in the hole. I need more. I need nine guys. I need bunts. I need you know, uh, more strategy. And I know there's strategy to the other games too, but I just feel there's more to baseball. I know exactly what you're saying because I'm like a, a lapsed. I, right. I, I, nobody was more obsessed with the 1989 New York Yankees than I was. Yeah. I fucking went and pretended to announce a, a half inning. You sure. Know? I mean, Ricky Henderson was my guy, so I wasn't necessarily the, the 1989 the New York Yankees. Game. What who are we dealing with at that point? Who's your pitcher? Oh, uh... let's see. Uh, th- we never had any starting pitching. We had rags out in the bullpen. Uh, okay. D- Dave Rigetti. Dave Rigetti. Yeah. Uh, who's yeah, starting yeah. pitching? Oh, fuck. So who's your catcher? Sedano? Uh, around uh, then, this would have been right after the Ron Hassey, Butch Weiniger platoon. Yeah. Um, are we? Uh, we had a, they were always trying to bring in big and hitting Jeter's catchers. there at that point. Uh, no, I think he's in the nineties. He comes in the night. Yeah. So they were always bringing in hitting catchers that couldn't catch. So they'd have like like a Mark Salas, yeah, okay, kind of right, guy. Right, so right, we right, have yeah. so you got Mattingly. That's the tail end yeah. of Randolph. We might be talking. Oh, okay. We might be talking Alvaro Espinosa at short. Wow. And then uh, we're, we're that's before Boggs. Obviously, he's the yeah. Antichrist at that point. Before we fully yeah. in, embraced his bizarre mustache, yeah. chicken eaten ass. <laughs> so we have like Mike Pagliarulo. On God, third base. Those are some, yeah, those are some dark. Very ethnic teams. Yeah, very ethnic teams. <laughs> uh, and uh, have you been to the new Yankee Stadium? I think twice. Yeah, I don't love it. It it kind of feels the same. The, the, let's not let's not pretend that it was not the house that Ruth built no, for a no, very no. very long. It was, it was the house that right. Steinbrenner built for a very long time. Uh, but uh, City Field, where the Mets, the, the stadium's been. great. It looks it's great. awesome. It, it's so much better than Yankee Stadium. I it, believe you, and not just because I'm a Met fan. I think stadium wise, it's it's better. Objectively, I think. That and I'm is. I'm not a Yankee hater. I never have been. I get I so much shit from my Long Island friends. It's either on Long Island. It's either Mets or Yankees. You can't. Mm-hmm. And I, but since I moved to Los Angeles, I like them. I'm a Met fan, diehard, but. 
but I, I'm not going to root against the Yankees if they're in the playoffs. Or, and I love some of the new guys. You know, yeah. I, I like the Yankees. Yeah, I feel I feel pretty much the same way about the Mets. I feel like baseball really lost me when it kind of became a sport. Yeah. Like when the guys, when they realized that, yes, you can smoke cigarettes and drink beer and hit 25 home runs. Right. But if you drink protein shakes instead, you might hit 33 home runs. Yeah. It, it, to me, it lost all of its zazz. But did you watch the Houston Astros? I mean, that's a. I love that team that just doesn't stop running the base. Like you watch, you know. I don't. I didn't. No, see I did the, not answer your question. I didn't see the Astros throughout the entire season until they got to the playoffs. You know, I'm, I'm not going to watch Astros games in you know in May. So once they got into the playoffs, and I felt the same way about the Royals the year before that. I was like, oh my god, this I've never seen a team this fast, this good. The, like never missing the double play or ne- taking every extra base. So these are like Whitey Herzog kind of teams. Yeah, and I'm like, that's so fun to watch when they're that good. And any any sport, I think, when you're watching the best, it's just fun. You I can't know? get into the beards either. Yeah, it's all beards, but that's that's comedy too. You know? Is it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's this, all beards. This too yeah, shall pass. I know, I know. Yeah, God forbid you wear like a you know decent fitting outfit in comedy. You're you know some queer who. Uh, no, I've been I've been laughed at for tucking yeah. a shirt in. Oh, forget about it. You yeah. can't like I, the, every every comedy club I go to, like, you dress nice for a comedian. I'm like, well, that's not a very high bar. And no, bit. it's like it's the worst. Yeah, I got to figure out my decor. I feel like that's the next stage for me. I don't want to be a suit guy, yeah. but I don't want to be a t-shirt it, it's guy. It's definitely something you should have to think about because. Uh, uh, it, 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 I, I, I put a lot of thought into it because uh-huh. it, there was a time where I was like a vest tie guy mm-hmm. and I look back at it now and I'm like, what was I thinking? It should be a little of, not too, but not too slop. Like, you should look like you're trying a little bit. I think I'm a tie and button down, but no jacket guy. Okay. That's not a bad look. Because I feel like I am what I am, which is I was a Catholic schoolboy, right. and I'm always going to come from there. And I think it's a little bit so. And, and, and 75% of me is that sort of like prude Catholic kid I was raised to be. Right. And then the 25% is is just like insanely vulgar, and I don't know where it, it came from. Yeah. And I think either of those, like either I'm playing to the, the former Catholic schoolboy thing or I'm totally playing against it. Right. I just, I, it, the suit thing also seems like a commitment because you have to travel with suits. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. I don't know how much Mastro- Mastrobani does it. Yeah, Mastrobani. <laughs> there's, there's quite a few. Yeah, yeah I guess Papa. Moss is like uh, uh, Papa and uh, who else? Oh, uh, what's his name who always wears the suit? God, I used to be on Chelsea lately a bunch. I can't think of his name right now. But anyway, yeah, it's it's tough. Everybody dabbles. Every every comedian has the one. Yeah, I have Chicago and Boston the- coming up and. It looks like it's going to be freezing, like still 25 degrees in both of those cities. And I, I thought I was done with like packing the heavy coats. It was so much easier to just stay here on the West Coast and mm-hmm. pack lightly. And uh, it's, it, but now I'm, I'm packing heavy shit again. You're a Beatles guy as well. I'm a big Beatles guy. Uh, I was a Beatles fanatic as a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know how or why. Yeah. But I was a Beatles. You weren't around that. for Beatlemania. No, no, right. no, 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 no. But I think it was my aunts and uncles and stuff. Mm-hmm. I got me into it, and I just—I don't know, man. I was into it, like everything. I knew everything. I've studied books and every. And then Lennon got—I was, you know, right at my height. Lennon got killed. Oh my goodness! Right, yeah, right at my height. And I, I mean, it was—I couldn't move. I went to the vigil in New York, and I was. 11 or something so I I got on the train and went to like all of it I mean it was nuts it was crazy yeah but I mean I've since now almost I'm almost a little um 
sad that I don't have like idol worship anymore. It, it's sad when that goes away. It's fun to have idol worship. Like even baseball and sports and stuff. Like even when the Mets lose, I it just doesn't bother me after like three minutes. I'm done with it. Even there's so many generations of it's like your first breakup. Yeah, you know? I, I cried. I don't know why I always say this on the show. I cried when the ball went through Bill Buckner's legs. Yeah. Which is weird. You cried because it did because it was so important to me that the Mets lost. Oh, and at wow. that point, I did not understand the historic rivalry the Yankees had with the Red okay. Sox. It was just so important yeah. to me. I, I I I wept and like snotted all over my aunt and uncle's couch. I like, I, I think well, back, I think my parents were, okay. were embarrassed that their kid was <laughs> nine years old yeah. and still capable of weeping. I like had that. the exact opposite reaction <laughs> the, to that game. Yeah. To that, but which by the way, Game Seven was even better, I believe, than yeah. Game Six. But um, I, I, it was so unbelievable to me. Like I couldn't believe that that ball went through. It was like I couldn't believe they got four hits in a row in the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. Like I was just freaking out. Now, if it happened today, I'm like, oh, man, great, the Mets won the World Series. Or oh, it just and it's it sucks when you have to admit that. Like I go to concerts now where I used to just be like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever seen." I'm like, "This is great, nice, good show, whatever." Whoever you know, I went to see. So the Beatles, all that stuff is just now. I don't know. It's just getting older. It's sad when you have to come, kind of like you don't give a fuck about anything really anymore. Well, okay. Would you say I understand you don't have the 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 enthusiastic, vigorous passion of youth but do you still take joy from things in life yes well then i think you're okay oh uh, i know i know <laughs> i just i just because if was, it's just like I man i used to love those... the beatles and now i just don't give a shit about anything anymore <laughs> no but i was one of those guys who took like joy like i'd go to a movie and i'd walk out of like jurassic park when i first saw it saying this is the greatest fucking thing i've ever seen in my like i was a movie i'm a still uh-huh. still am a movie fanatic and now i go and i'm like good movie mm-hmm. like and then I'm over it by the next you know, stoplight driving home. We've you know? seen all the moves before, too. Right. That's, that's the other thing. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple minutes left. Uh, do you really? It seems like you take a lot of joy in Subway sandwiches. <laughs> I know. I don't know why. You don't really like those things, do you? No. You know, in a pinch, <laughs> it's not a bad thing to eat, I believe. I think I'm doing my, like better than if I eat cheeseburgers, but I've read up that it's just as horrible. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's fresh. I know. Are you actually really passionate about Broadway musicals? I am. I, that's one of the things that I still truly enjoy. Sometimes. So you've lost your joy for baseball and for the Beatles <laughs> and for movies <laughs> and for life, but somehow. A, but I, once again, I would. I, there are times where I've gone recently where um, <laughs> I, I'll walk out going because I used to just like just honestly I I'm you know I'm a sucker for bright lights and shiny costumes you know still. And I think that that's the last place you can go see that. It's uh, it's made a startling comeback, a stunning fucking comeback. Thank God. Well, that wasn't thank that God. wasn't the reaction that I had, but it, it, it's really crazy because like all the the dancing with stars yeah. on TV and all that right. stuff. Right. It's just the '70s are back to me. I thought that was the '70s doing the the tail end fumes of the '30s through the early '60s, right. and it turns out this is perennial entertainment. Yeah. Well, the shit I had to take as a kid for being into, like, Donnie and Marie. I used to watch this shit. And even being into the Oscars as a kid. Like, my brother's like, who gives a shit about the Oscars? And I would watch the, uh, like, and I was into, like, the dance numbers. And and I don't think it's, Why? I don't know. I think it's, I like show business. I I always did. I, I like show, I still do. Like, I get, I like show business. I like people who are, 
you know, Nathan Lane and people who are fucking show, you know, who deliver time yeah. and time pro- professional <laughs> pros, you know? You like a good ta-da? <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> Uh, well, I have to let you go. Thank you so much for coming by. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for having me. You are uh, at Chris Frangiola on all meaningful social media. All meaningful social media, I'm at Chris Frangiola. And you have your tour dates at frangiola.com. Frangiola.com. Everything.